That was great. The kids did amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, today, I just wanted to share a couple of verses with you from John chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 21. Um, and uh, I was thinking about Christmas, and, and particularly, you often hear people complain. This is going to seem weird. I, 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 this is going to be an unpopular opinion. Oh, maybe, okay? I, I hear people complain about Jesus being taken out of Christmas, right? A lot of Christians are very upset that Christmas has become an increasingly secular holiday um, and that Jesus is being taken out of Christmas. I'm actually surprised that he's still in it as much as he is. I'm surprised that Jesus is still as much a part of Christmas as he is. And I think the reason for that, I think the reason that he remains in, in Christmas as much as he is, um, is because um, at Christmas, Jesus is silent. Right? At Christmas, when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating Jesus' birth, and babies uh, can't talk. And so Jesus, even though he's generally a very offensive figure, a very controversial figure, I mean, if you're going to bring up Jesus with a group of people you don't know, you're probably not going to do that. Right? You're gonna, Jesus is, you know, you have that, thing, that classic thing of, hey, listen, at dinner time, we don't talk about politics and religion, right? Those are the things, right? Because it's too controversial. So you're not going to bring up Jesus a lot of time with people and because uh, and, and he, he remains this controversial figure and yet he remains so much in Christmas even among people who don't particularly celebrate him or, or worship him or follow him. They'll still celebrate his birth, still talk about him at Christmas time because at Christmas time he doesn't make any claims. He's, he's famously quiet even for a baby. He's famously quiet, right? There's, there's songs, right? Away in a manger. There's the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, right? Which isn't in the Bible. <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible does it say Jesus didn't cry. He was a human baby. He definitely cried. I feel like if Mary can hear us singing that song, she'd be like, um, excuse me? <laughs> Let me tell you, he cried. He woke me up right? There's no way that, that he didn't cry. But in any case, he's, he's silent. He's not making any claims. But eventually he does, right? And that's what most of the gospels are about. That's most of the scripture we have about Jesus is actually about his adult life and ministry. We don't have anything about, we've got a little bit about the birth, and then a lot of quiet about his, his uh, growing up period. And not until he starts his ministry is really the gospels focus on that only two of the Gospels mention his birth at all. We're going to look at John, who actually, he doesn't directly mention the birth. The way he describes it is much more metaphorical when he talks about it. He talks about it as light coming into the world, and we'll get to that at the end. But we're going to look first at John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21, where Jesus himself... Oh, um, if there are still any kids in here, we do have Sunday school. They can go to, to classes. Uh, yeah, sorry, that's your thing. When all the kids left, I thought everyone, all the kids would leave. Yes, if there are anybody, Jason, Pastor Jason will lead them over there if, uh, if there's any kids in here still. You can stay if you want. I'm not going to say any, anything that they can't hear. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I do. <laughs> but 
I don't know if you've read the Bible. There's some R-rated stuff in there. I'm not cursing up here, but there's some, some stories that we don't teach in Sunday school in the Bible. You should read it. It's more exciting than you think. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. Uh, we'll look first at verses 16 through 18. This is a passage where Jesus himself is talking about the reasons that he came. He's talking about the reasons that he came, and he's having a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus, um, who asks him for a secret nighttime meeting uh, because he doesn't want to be seen talking to Jesus. He's this powerful religious leader, and Jesus is somebody that all the religious leaders are, are angry at, and he wants to stay part of his group, so he's in a secret nighttime meeting with Jesus, and, and he's asking him questions, and Jesus explains his reasons for coming. He says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus speaking, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So Jesus starts out with explaining God's motivation for sending Jesus at all. And he said, for God so loved the world. God loved the world. He loved people. God loved people. His love for people was his motivation. God had created mankind. We believe that God created mankind in his own image to have a relationship with them. He wanted to have a relationship with his people, and yet we rebel against him. That's the, that's the famous story of Adam and Eve is them specifically rebelling against God as their creator, as their God, as their king. They rebel against him. We reject him at being in that position. We essentially decide that we know better than God about how things should go. We decide that we should be in charge of our lives instead of ever considering what God might have to say, what the one who made us might have to say. And so we live our lives in our own way. And I think to understand this love that God has for us, I think we can get a picture of it when we consider, um, when we consider the love we have for our children. And I mean that in general, but I mean it even more specifically when they're first born. When, the first, when, you, when you have a newborn baby, um, you love that child instantly. You've never met before. And yet you love that child instantly. It's, I mean, I've, I have three. And it's like the minute they're born, you just love them instantly. And they can't do anything but cause problems for you. <laughs> right? They don't, they don't do anything but cause problems. They cry. They wake you up. Um, and they won't let you sleep. Um, they eat. And they don't, they don't chip in for that. <laughs> they eat. They, they create dirty diapers. Um, they, they, they just don't do anything. They're terrible roommates. They're terrible roommates. They don't do anything for you, and yet you love them instantly. I mean, they don't even smile at you for six weeks. You don't get anything back. You don't get hugs or smiles or little anything. They don't call you mom or dad for a long time. They don't say, I love you for a long time. They, you don't get anything back from them, yet you love them with everything that you are. And I think that that gives us a picture of God's love for us. I think it's a fraction of God, the love that God has for us, in spite of the fact that we rebel against him, in spite of the fact that we do not uh, reciprocate that so often. 
Jesus says that God sent his son into the world, that the world might be saved, that whoever, he says next, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Because we have rebelled against our creator, we are condemned. We've rejected him. We're going to be apart from him. But this isn't God's desire. He wants to make a way for us to have peace with God. He wants to make a way for us to repair this relationship. But it says that, he then says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send Jesus into the world to judge us or to condemn us. His mission was not one of condemnation or judgment because we don't really need it. We don't really need it. I mean, that's one of the, the things when we talk about not being judgmental or not judging people. I think one of the reasons for that is in reality, we don't really need it. We know Right? We know that we're broken. We know that we've failed. We know that we're guilty. We recognize our guilt. We might not call it, I mean, in the church and in the Bible, we call it sin. And, and some people push against that. They go, like, well, don't call me a sinner. Don't say that I have sin. Like, I don't, I don't know, even know what that word really means. But it's simply an acknowledgement that we're not perfect. And I don't think there's anyone here who would try to say, you know, I'm, I'm actually perfect. I've never done anything wrong. I've never hurt anybody. All my relationships are perfectly okay. It's only people, other people do stuff to me, right? You, you might have a hard time admitting it to somebody else, but in, in, when it's just you, you look in the mirror, you know that you're not perfect. You know that there's something wrong. We know that we've hurt people. We know that we need forgiveness. You might be unsure about whether there even is a God. You might not be sure about what you believe about God, but, but if there is... Right, if, what, if what I believe is true, that, that we have a creator, might he have something to say about us? Might he have something to say about how we behave? Might we be accountable to him? If there is a creator, if there is someone who made us and loved us, like we are guilty. Jesus says that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in the Son of God, believes in Jesus, is not condemned. There are many people unfortunately, who approach the Christian life as a list of rules to follow in order to earn salvation. But this is not the message of Scripture, right? Oftentimes we see this picture that you get this general religious image of like trying to stack up good deeds. It's like you have a, a set of scales and you're like, well, I've got my good deeds over here and my bad deeds over here and, and I need to make sure my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, and you seem to put more good things on this side so they'll make up for all this bad stuff. And that kind of erase it and even it out. And then if I just get enough that I tip the scales in my favor, then I, I'm sure I'll go to heaven when I die. But like, you made that up. You know what I mean? Like, you just made that idea up, or somebody did, and then you heard it and you're like, okay, cool. But it's not what God has to say about how it works. It's not about earning these things. Scripture clearly teaches what this passage says directly, that it's not about what you've done, but about how you respond to Jesus. That Jesus came to offer you forgiveness. Will you simply accept it? He came to offer grace and mercy. Will you receive it? That he's come to offer you peace with God. Will you rest in it? We're not saved by the things that we've done. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift. We simply have to accept so then any kind of good behavior out of that should be simply living in response to the gift that God gave us. It's not about earning our salvation. It's not about trying to 
to get credit with God. It's simply about responding to what he's already done for us. Jesus then says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. A rejection of Jesus is not what condemns us. We're already condemned. And he explains this as we continue in this next passage. Here we're going to look at verses 19 through 21. It says that this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So just, this is continuing the same thought, same passage, when he says that whoever doesn't believe is already condemned, and this is the judgment. He says, here's the judgment. It's already been laid out. It's already laid out here that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. We all have brokenness within us that's drawn to evil. We have a brokenness within us that's drawn to do the things that we know we shouldn't. That's drawn to the darkness, right? This is exposed when you, when you, uh, you know, tell a child, like, hey, listen, don't cross this line, right? Don't don't touch that, right? You might have things in your house right now, Christmas decorations and things like that. If you, have, if you go over and tell your kid like, hey, don't touch this one, it's fragile. Don't touch it. You know they're gonna wanna touch it, <laughs> right? If you never said anything, there's a good chance they would ignore it. But if you told them, don't touch this, they're gonna be right up to it. How close can I get without touching it, right? And you go, but that's just like me, Right? That's how we all are. I mean, if I put anything, if I put something on the courtyard, and just put a, a thing on it, I said, do not touch. You might have, everyone would just ignore it if I hadn't put anything on it. But if they put it, notice, don't touch it. You're going to go, why can't I touch this? What's going on? Why, 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 does, this, why does this have this sign on it? I think I want to touch it. <laughs> right? It's, this brokenness is exposed when a, a friend offers us a juicy piece of gossip. Right? And we... We know we shouldn't engage. We know it would be hurtful to the person it's about, but, but we want it. It's revealed when we realize we could get away with something and no one would never know that it happened, something we know was wrong. We realize when we, we lie and we cheat in order to gain some advantage. It's revealed when we're drawn to our addictions and temptations again and again, regardless of the consequences. Jesus says that we're drawn to this darkness instead of the light because we're afraid of our works being exposed. He says, lest his works be exposed. Light and darkness are metaphors in Scripture for good and evil. It's the way that God set up the world. It's not, this, this metaphor extends through so much of our literature and our art um, and even just our experience because it's how God designed the world, right? In and we, we reflect this in our, in our art, right? In Westerns, right? The bad guy wears the black hat. The good guy wears the white hat, right? In, in Star Wars, you have the light side and the dark side, where we have this over and over again. It's also, it's just a practical reality. It's built into the way that God designed our world, right? There's a reason, there's a reason that your grandma says, hey, nothing good happens after midnight, right? There's a reason that they keep nightclubs dark, right? They, there's a reason, because the things that people want to do there, no one would do with the lights on, 
right? If it was super bright there, you're not going to do it. Darkness literally and metaphorically hides our evil deeds, hides the things we do that we know are wrong. Jesus says, Whatever, whoever does what is true comes to the light. Right? We bring our good deeds, the good things we do, we bring those things to the light. We want people to see them. We want to be seen. We're not ashamed. We want people to know and think well of us. Right? You don't brag about your mistakes, but you certainly celebrate the things that are positive. Right? We know this just from the things you choose to post on social media. Right? No one's posting their big failures on social media. No one's post, but but you, if you ran a marathon this year, you better bet there's a there's a social media post. Are you going to put that on the gram? You want people to know. Jesus says, "Whoever does what is true comes to the light," and Jesus Himself is the true light. In the beginning of John's Gospel, the way that He describes Jesus' birth is this way. If we look at verses nine through fourteen, He says, "The true light." which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Christmas is the story of light breaking into our darkness, of the light dawning in darkness. Right? Christmas, Christmas is a joyful time of year, but we often feel this like obligation to force that joy, right? To just slap on a happy face. And say, yeah, everything's great. Oh, we're having fun. Right? We're having fun. It was chaos getting here, but now we're here and we're having fun. And then the kids start whining, you go, we're having fun. You're having fun. You're making good memories. Right? We do that. Because we feel like, oh, we have to. It's Christmas. It has to be happy. Right? We feel this obligation to make it that way. But the origin story of Christmas, right, we're all obsessed with origin stories and all the superhero movies, the origin stories. If we were to write the origin story of Christmas, it's already been written. The origin story of Christmas is light breaking into darkness. It's not this, this like pure, everything's great, everything's fine. It's no, it's things are dark. Things are bad and hope is coming into the world. So if that's your reality right now, if your reality is like, yeah, boy, I'm having a hard time having a Merry Christmas, that's okay because that's what it's all about is this piece of hope symbolized by this baby, literally in this baby, breaking into the darkness, breaking into our pain, stepping in and bringing hope to all of us. He came to come into our mess. He came to bear our sins and our sorrows. He came to make right all that we have broken. The only question that we have to answer is, will you receive it? Will you receive the gift that Jesus came to bring? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for sending Jesus to us. 
And I pray that each of us wouldn't allow him to just be silent, that we would allow him to speak into our lives, that we would not just celebrate the silent infant Savior, but that we would celebrate the Savior who come, came because he loved us so much, that because you loved us so much, that you wanted to make a way for us to have peace with you. I pray that we would receive that gift of hope, of forgiveness, of grace and mercy, that each person here would receive that this year. We thank you for all that you have done for us and especially for sending Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.